Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Jay DeSherry. Jay and I had a great discussion, really diving into the nuts and bolts of strength training for runners, specifically why it's so important for runners to do, how to do it properly, and some of the things that people do wrong when deciding to start strength training. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Jay, thanks for joining me today. How are you? I am doing very well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful morning, so no complaints. Sweet. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, You are a man of knowledge. You have some books out. You've done a lot of stuff when it comes to runners and the health of runners. Um, So I'm excited to dive into just you and your brain. But first, a little bit of introduction. Who are you? Yeah, I'm just a guy trying to help. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So yeah, I'm a PT. And I I think that I always tell folks the the weird angle I bring is that I ran a biomechanics lab for the bigger part of my career. And so, you know, it's one thing to do research and we've done lots of research studies and, and looked at things that drive how we do things and why we do things and what we do. But research doesn't tell you how to treat your patients and your clients. Um, it, it guides your thought process. That's it. And so one of the cool things we've been able to do is to take our lab and actually open up to individuals. So we've got data on literally thousands of runners um, and, and not just like, you know, clinical data on is this muscle tight or not, but like also like biomechanic data, right? So when you put all that stuff together, you start to see, wow, patients who present with lateral hip weakness also do this when they run. And then like, how do you fit in that spectrum, right? Stuff starts to kind of come to the surface and you learn a whole lot um, and how to optimize each individual. And there's certainly lessons that have come up for everyone. And there's certain lessons that come up for specific diagnoses and specific issues. So it's been fun um, to kind of, you know, make a career, like basically a big science experiment. Awesome. That sounds like fun, actually. Yeah. Um, what are some generalities that you found with when it comes to runners and some common th- common themes you're seeing when it comes to ru- inner runners, injured runners, um, patterns, things like that? Yeah. So I would say that one, and, and again, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but just uh, as, as a general rule, you know, most runners have this stigma that, you know, I do some core work for, you know, 10 minutes, two times a week, and that's it, right? Um, most runners are, are, are quite weak um, in terms of being able to apply force down to the ground. And that really affects your running economy and affects your injury risk. Um, and the thing that drives me absolutely batty insane um, that we've learned over the years and not just in my lab, but in research too, is that, you know, running does not really make you stronger. And I want to make that abundantly clear. It will not strengthen your muscles, tendon, bones, and ligaments. And people are like, wait a second, it's great for impact and it's good for bone density. And I mean, kind of, but not really. Okay. So, you know, and, and runners carry that with them, right? Like I'm, I'm exercising and, and, and running is a great thing for cardiovascular health. It's awesome, but it is not a, a chassis building uh, exercise, right? And I'm glad you mentioned that. Like anyone who's listened to my podcast knows I love debunking all the myths that are out there. So I love that you just brought that up that like, yeah, running does not strengthen anything. Um, and I mean, not that it makes things weaker, but it definitely doesn't strengthen things. Um, you mentioned core for runners. I think the other one that I always hear a lot of is like, I'm strengthening my glutes and I'm not getting better. 
what are people doing wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Besides everything. <laughs> I, I love that question. Um, <laughs> so, okay. This is actually, actually, I really like that for real. All right. So um, a few things here. So number one, uh, muscles don't work in isolation, right? They work together. And so I think that there's a big misconception in how to actually work your core for sport. Okay. I'm not talking about building a six pack for looks, but to build a, a core for sport, um, there's a lot of misconceptions. And, and I personally can't stand um, isometric exercises because one, I think they're very boring um, and they don't mimic uh, what we do in sport, which is move. Right. And so um, <clears throat> it's really important to understand when you run, I know you're running forward, but you've got this spiral line of control, right. That kind of goes through your body. Every time you run, you've got basically this thing called a great action force going through your foot knees, ankle, hips, you know, spine, yes, even shoulders, right? And it's trying to do some things to you. And you have to show up able to respond to that. And a lot of this is rotational torque that's being put through your body. And you need to show up with really good rotation control through your core, but also through your hips and also through your foot and ankle, right? And also, yes, your shoulder blades and your posture alignment. So it's like, there are so many things that come in this. You said like, what are they doing wrong? Everything. I wouldn't say everything, but I think that people tend to take things and they kind of like, I'll do some shoulders, I'll do some core, I'll do some hips and I'll do some foot and ankle, like, and they don't integrate, right? And, and we, need to, we need to bring things together. And, and, you know, there's a time if you're starting out, you might need to do some isolated core work and some isolated hip abductor strengthening and some, that, that all has a place, right? But like your role as an athlete, I mean, you think about it, you're probably not running. When you first started out, you didn't run uh, 60 second quarters on day one, right? At the track. And if you start out running two minute quarters, and you've been running for five years, you're probably still not running two minute quarters, right? There's a process and you evolve. And I think that runners don't get the idea that your strength and stability program needs to evolve as well, right? And if you're still doing the same, you know, the five best exercises for core strength and runner's world from five years ago, you need an overhaul. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, it's great that they're in the gym, but yeah, I, I just see all these people. It's like, year after year doing the same exact routine, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesday, Thursday, these things. And, and yeah, it's like, it's great that you're moving, but is the body really gaining anything anymore? Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this morning for an athlete I'm dealing with right now. Like it's, you have to remember everything needs to be progressive. Right. And so, like you said, I'm glad you're in the gym and you're doing your, you know, your little core routine, your hip routine, you got online. That's great. And it's better than nothing for sure. But if you really want to get the most out of your time, right, you're going to invest 20 minutes. Well, let's get you more impact out of that 20 minutes, right? You need to do things where you're actually loading tissues progressively. And if you're not, your body's going to stagnate and it doesn't improve like period. Right. And so there, there is, there is one thing I do want to back up on the, so when we do things like, I'm not, again, please don't take this the wrong way. I like belittling people and doing these kind of routines because running is very much one plane dominant, right? We're moving mostly forward. And so um, we don't do enough skill building in the lateral plane or rotational plane. And some of these little like, you know, mobility routines do build skill of movement in those other planes. That's actually very important. I, and I have my athletes do like, I would say, you know, unloaded type uh, mobility work. Um, you know, sometimes we use some, some lightweight, right. But some, a lot of mobility work, uh, one to two times a week for about 15, 20 minutes. It's like a dynamic warm up, right? Like a more sophisticated dynamic warm up. So there is a role for that kind of stuff, but then they're also doing loaded movements, you know, 
one or two days a week as well. So if you don't get that, you know, that layering, right, where there's skill building and there's like true, you know, I don't know, easier bodybuilding is not going to turn people off with that, but, you know, building stronger muscles, tendons, bones, ligaments. Um, and then again, going back to the idea about multi-joint activity, learning how to drive more force down to the ground, because there's a secret out there. If you want to run faster, all you have to do is put more force down to the ground. You will cover more distance per stride. And, and most runners don't get that. And that comes from developing strength and power, not from running. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. And it's funny because I'm also thinking like, it doesn't, you don't get that by just getting, getting more weight either. No. <laughs> not how that works. Um, let's actually dive into that. Why do we need more force into the ground in order to actually get that speed and power? Yeah. So <clears throat> um, I always use a ping pong ball because the ping pong ball is easy, right? take a ping pong ball and you pick it up and you kind of throw it down on the ground and the ball will squish, right? A tiny, tiny bit. And then it will rebound and kind of fly up off the ground. Now you're not a ball, right? You're a person. So when you, when you are in the air, right? We're running, you have a flight phase. And when you basically come back down to the ground, your body squishes down too, right? But again, you're not a, a passive little plastic ball. You're a, a person. And so you need to show up with a lot of recruitment, right, of muscles, not just in the core, right, but in the core, hips, knees, foot and ankle, again, and yes, postural control, right, to basically absorb and then rebound off the ground. You want to create your body into a big spring, into a big pogo stick, right? So your tendons are rubber bands, right, and they, they sort of like stretch and rebound, um, and then your muscles are basically tensioning the system, right? So what you can imagine, if you use my pogo stick analogy, right? If you're on a pogo stick and you basically jump down, the spring inside the pogo stick does, you know, compress and rebound, but you're also loading on top as well, right? You're pushing your hands into the handles and your feet and the foot pads as well. That's a great analogy for running, right? So if you can actually develop more, um, more rapid, right? So a faster recruitment of strength in a short period of time, what happens is you wind up with stiffer muscles and, and stiff in a good way, okay? And you transfer all that elasticity from joint to joint to joint. That's really awesome. If you show up with a body that doesn't fire as fast and as rapid as forcefully, what happens is those tendons do still have that, you know, re rebound and recoil, right? They do their job, but the muscles aren't as stiff. The problem is you lose some of the elasticity in your system, right? And then in, in extreme cases, right, the runners out there who've seen pictures of yourself crossing the finish line where your legs collapsed inward and you look kind of funky because you're tired, right? And that happens to a bunch of us, right? So that's a sign that like, not only are you like losing like a little bit of microns of, of, of strength and power, but like you've lost a lot, right? Your body's actually started to contort because you can't stabilize those forces. So if you can generate your force faster, right? You're a stiffer system, you get more elasticity and the more elasticity means you don't have to work as hard to run the same speed or you can run faster with the same effort you're using previously, right? So that's when you actually get, you know, past the lines, people always, you know, we can talk about overuse injury all day long and nobody wants to get hurt, but you start saying, oh, you can run faster and you kind of get people's attention, <laughs> right? And, and, and you can, I mean, you know, and, and, and so and just to put this out there too, every single athlete you see in the national and world stage is already doing this, right? Like people think, Oh, they're not, these people aren't doing it. They are. I promise you. Okay. So, you know, why aren't you is the question. And, and I, I hope that really resonates with some people who think that I'm just going to do my hip routine. I got right. Like you need to do some things which are progressive. Yeah. And I think even now with, with more and more stuff on social media, like 
people post what's fun. They post what's what they do really well at. It's like, no one's really posting. Like you don't see elite runners posting like their strength routine. You don't see the CrossFit athletes posting their mobility work that they're doing. And so it's like, I think people just, because it's not in the social media world we live in, because it's not being posted, there's just this big disconnect between like, well, I don't have to do that stuff because they aren't. Right. And again, like the social media stuff, like it drives me nuts. Like, what do you see on social media? People jumping from Swiss ball to Swiss ball to Swiss ball. It makes a great Instagram video. Not right. important for running. Okay. Like box jumps over chest height. I'm sorry. It's the stupidest thing in the world for building athletic skill. Like, I know it looks cool, but that's not going to help you as an athlete. So it's like, you got to look at like what looks nice versus what's really helping. And, and yeah, it's a, that, that's definitely an issue for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Now we talked about, um, you know, strength being necessary for the speed and the power and things like that. Um, and kind of brushed over the fact that it does, you know, minimize our injury risk. Where does it also play a fact factor in like longevity? Cause most runners want to be able to run into their seventies, eighties. Um, so how does it play into how does doing strength training when we're in our thirties and our forties play into that longevity factor? For sure. Um, okay, let's start with this real quick. If I could, if I could actually backtrack up a little bit on that uh, question a little bit. So let's look at what happens to the developmental cycle, right? So if you're a kid, right? People say, do kids need to lift weights? Okay, kids don't need to lift weights, but kids do need to learn movement skill, right? And on a global level, our PE system is failing us because in PE, your kids are not doing anything besides playing dodgeball. Uh, they're not, I mean, which might be fun, but you're not learning how to move better, right? Uh, case in point, look at the, you know, look at the number of ACL tears in, in high school athletes, right? We are failing our kids by not training them to move with skill control, right? So that's one of my big pet peeves. So um, my kids, okay, are, you know, I have a 10 year old and a 13 year old. And uh, my daughter started last year actually doing like we do some lifting work, right? Um, because she needs to build awareness and movement control. Now, am I worried about weight right now? No, okay. Is she using weight? Sure, but more just to kind of load the system and learn good habits. Um, my son is 10. I have, we have a pair of rings in our living room, literally, and they're up all the time and he plays on them every day for 15, 20 minutes. And he, I just, we don't tell him, he just plays on them, right? Because kids play. So that's like, that's his training, right? He's fine. Um, you know, so- <laughs> You know, kids need access to play. And I think that one of the big things, if you're a parent with younger kids, give them the opportunity to play, right? So put some, you know, put some different balance toys all over the house, put some rings up, you know, in your backyard, you should have a, a, you know, some type of obstacle course, monkey bar system, let them play. Um, once you get into uh, high school age, um, it's sort of an early high school age, like, you know, freshman, sophomore year, you definitely want to have most of your kids, if they're going to be involved in sport, and hopefully even if they're not, um, doing some type of uh, semi-supervised kind of, again, movement education program, which can be something in the form of CrossFit, or it can be in the form of like, you know, a high school gym weight training class, but something where they're getting some, some attention and instruction is preferable. Um, once you get into the, you know, the, the junior, senior year, we should be at the point where we have a solid foundation to drive from. And again, it's mostly skill at this point, right? We're not worried about strength, but now's the time we start to say, okay, look, maybe we should start to load the system a little bit. Why? Because if you, one of your kids is a kid dealing with is an athlete, right? They got a lot of load in their system, right? And we want to make sure we are building strong bones, tendons, ligaments, and those are formative years. Okay. And 
if you get on this stuff early, you can give your kids better bone health, right? Better muscles, um, stability and tendon health, you know, for, for lifelong case in point, look at people who are 40 and 50 years old today who are gymnasts. You can tell across the room, right? They're jacked. Okay. Their connective tissues got loaded at a very high level from, you know, time they were six and seven and on. Right. So like, I want that for my kids. I want them to have amazing connective tissues for long-term. Okay. Um, once you get into the, you know, let's say late twenties to early thirties, you get into a, a mindset where, you know, most of the people, if you're that age, listen to the show, you're probably like, I'm on top of the world. I can only do anything. Cause yeah, your body's amazing. Okay. It is. Um, and, and yes, you can get away with a lot of stupid mistakes and you can abuse it like crazy and it's going to be just fine. Now you would be better if you put some strength and stability work in like all the people who are really good are, uh, but you can get away with a lot then. Once you're past 30, you are literally giving up performance if you're not doing um, strength and power work, period. Um, the reason why is because even at that, like in the 30s, we start to have some slight negative changes in terms of what? Bone maintenance, okay? Uh, muscle uh, mu muscle uh, integrity, uh, tendon health, right? And again, running is not going to serve as a, as a stimulus to build these tissues, right? Once you're over 40, and I'm in that club now, right? This is mandatory, okay? Um, runners, if you're not doing strength and power work, you're losing uh, muscle mass every year, okay? Every single year, you are actually losing muscle mass. And again, running is not enough of a stimulus to actually build bone, okay? To build tendons, to build um, uh, uh, mu muscle integrity, right? So we have to work on those connective tissues. And then, you know, 50 and above, I mean, you... Again, you're, you're at the point where, again, you've got to load the system, right? And if, if you're not, then you, you just want to make sure your part's going to last a long time. Now, again, it doesn't mean you need to be 50 years old doing 400-pound power cleans, right? Yes, I know there's somebody on Instagram doing that. It's fine. But, um, but what you do need to do is think about being progressive and being systemic because you want to keep your parts for a long time, right? You don't want to wind up with a knee replacement at, at 45. You want to basically think, how can I make sure my parts hold up? How can I have good stability around where I am? And, and that comes from, again, being progressive and being consistent. And it, it's so integral. Um, and it kind of brings us together. I love, um, uh, I host a, a conference at University of Virginia uh, every year. And Frank Shorter came and, and talked one year. And he's like, you know, as I get older, I can't run as fast, right? Like I, I'm, I'm older now. I, I can't hit splits like when I was 20. But you know, it's really cool. I go to the gym and I lift like, four to five days a week. And I love it. And I can still see progress. Okay. In my gym work. And like, isn't it cool to still see the needle go up for once? Right. So, you know, you can do amazing things and learn new skills, learn to move and actually have fun. And you no, know, no, it's not the same as running, but it's fun. It's good for your body. And it's good for long-term because we do want you to keep your own parts. Awesome. Thank you for all of that detail. That was great. When talking about strength training for a runner, for running specifically, like, what are we talking about? Like, is it the, like hitting those heavy back squats? Is it getting like moderate weight? Is it just body weight? What is the best route to go for people? Yeah. So let's hit the body weight thing straight on. Cause this is like the thing you, you get inundated with emails and, and social media stuff. Oh, you need body weight training. Okay. Well, again, let's use our analogy of progressive. Okay. So let's say, and, and again, they're not I'm just saying, let's say you try and do a push-up, right? And push-ups are hard, okay, for somebody who's never done a push-up before. And so you say, all right, I'm going to do a push-up and I'm going to do three, okay? 
And three push-ups is essentially body weight training. Okay. And let's say you get to a point where you can do, you know, 50 push-ups. Okay. Well, that's great. Okay. So now you're doing muscular endurance training with body weight and that's great, but you know, what's even better is body weight plus load, right? So once you can actually start to knock out some reps, there comes a time where body weight isn't enough resistance to get you gains. Okay. So another example here, let's say you're doing um, uh, a single leg deadlift, right? With just body weight. Okay. That may be where you start. And then you get, you know, a water bottle. Okay. And then you get a 20 pound kettlebell and then you get 135 pound bar still doing a single leg deadlift, right? Like the exercise is the same, but we eventually have to add load to get more response in terms of building bone density, building um, st strong, strong muscles, right? And building uh, strong tendons. So things do need to be progressive. So you may start with body weight. You might have some exercises. Maybe you're doing like a, um, a, a side-lying hip abduction exercise, like, like a TRX, right? Where you have a sling trainer hanging down, and your bottom leg's there, and you're kind of pushing laterally to work on your lateral hip muscles. That's a great body weight exercise, right? But at some point that you have to think, okay, well, I need to load this more. So then you can't really load that a whole lot, but you could say, I start doing some plyometric lateral work, right? So there's a time and a place for body weight training for sure. I think that body weight training is not enough for our vertical oriented in our kind of frontal plane, excuse me, saddle plane stuff, right? So our squats and deadlifts, you do need some load for sure. So I think that body weight training is definitely part of a, of a solid program, but it's not everything, right? I mean, I, I, I cannot design a rock solid strength and stability plan just for body weight. Now for, let me back up one step. I actually separate everything down into two categories, right? I do what I call um, precision work and performance work with my athletes, right? So precision work and this is for all athletes I work with. Precision work is your kind of, let's call it a fancy dynamic warmup, right? So it's mostly for proprioception, which is learning movement feel and skill. Um, and it's kind of, you know, again, just priming some kind of, you know, stability muscles. It's not supposed to be taxing. It's best on pre-workout takes 15 minutes tops, right? That's the kind of thing I, I look at for my kind of precision type work, my performance work, right? That's all strength and power work, right? And so strength and power work is done one or two times a week. And yes, we do use external loads for sure. Um, again, where you start, right? You may start with air squats. And that's fine and valid if you're starting out. You should be there, right? Um, working on technique and making sure you can control your spine properly as you squat down. Those are all really important things. But as you learn those skills, right? We said, again, it's always skill first, not just weight. As you learn the skills, it is time to load the movement. And so what does it look like? You know, eventually it looks, it, like I said before, it looks at linking things, right? We do, um, you know, yes, some squats and there's like 900 variations of squats, right? Um, and yes, we do deadlifts and there's... a 50 variations of deadlifts we use, right? And so, um, yes, there's split squats and single leg stuff and everything else in between. Um, I do a lot of rotational-based work as well because, again, most athletes really have poor rotational control. I do a lot of rotation work with my athletes. Um, and that can be as simple as kind of you know, putting the bar on one side uh, versus both hands, right? So you have to kind of work some core integration or it can be as simple as, you know, doing like some uh, imaginary cable pulley or we use um, those eccentric trainers, if you've seen some of those. Uh, we use those guys to really load that rotational torque a whole lot. So, uh, you know, that's when you start to look at building a better plan. Awesome. Let's take a quick break now to talk about OS first compression and bracing. It is commonly known that compression helps with circulation. We see that medically decreasing your risk of blood clots. We see that on flights, 
using compression to decrease swelling, and even with racing, a lot of times we'll see it with decreasing or improving our circulation there as well. What you might not know though is we actually decrease the fatigue in our feet and legs when we use compression while training. Why is this? The added compression actually helps the muscles fire faster and better. So that means all those little small muscles in your foot and lower leg don't have to work quite as hard when you do every single thing you do. Long-term, it means you get to perform better for longer. So check out OS First Compression for yourself. Test it out. See if you get those amazing benefits that I notice for myself. You can head over to osfirst.com to check out all of their amazing products. And if you use code GETYOURFIX at checkout, you can save 15%. You can also head over to getyourfixpt.com slash partners and get a direct link to OS First as well as see all the other partners that I have some discounts for. And now let's get back to the conversation. And I think it's also important to mention too, because runners, it's like, it's very much legs. Like that's what's on the ground. That's what they feel working. We still have to think about what is the upper body doing as well. And we have to think about building strength there too. Like we can't just have these strong legs and these little wimpy arms and expect to be good. Ding, ding. So can we talk about this for a second? <laughs> so, you know, again, I said before, research guides us, but it doesn't tell us what to do. And so years ago, uh, for our running medicine conference, I was like, you know, like, what do we want to talk about this year? I'm like, you know, I've got some issues, but there's not much research out there on postural control, right? And shoulder blade position uh, when you run. So I said, I'm going to do a little pilot study real quick. So I, I just had 10 runners come in. I said, do me a favor, go run, right? And then, okay, now after you got the, your baseline, I want you to run kind of in a rounded shoulder, kind of bent over position for a little bit. And then in, in what most people do, right, which is kind of a backseat kind of arch back position, right? Um, so those of you out there who are spending or in line to spend 400 bucks on a pair of super shoes, okay, to get your 4% uh, in, uh, gains in efficiency, you can compromise your running by 4 to 8% just showing up with crappy posture, okay? So I can't make this any more clear. If you're a runner, you absolutely must do some posture work. Because you look at mile one very different than you do at mile eight and 12 and 26, two or hundred or whatever you're doing, right? So you have to work on some mid-back stability, right? Mid-back rotation control and a lot of scapular work, okay? Uh, because that's what really governs when your scapular muscles, shoulder blade muscles get tired and you round forward, guess what follows? Your mid-back. And then you either wind up doing one of two things. Once you ran forward, you either compensate by leaning backwards in your lumbar spine and running what I call the back seat, right? Or you wind up leaning way far forward, which in my Anatomy for Runners book, I call this the toilet bowl of doom. Um, and so both those scenarios, you are dramatically overloading your body in the way you basically, in the way you load it, right? And, the, and, the, and you lose elasticity, right? In both those scenarios. So you're losing elastic recoil and becoming less efficient. So I have all my running athletes doing upper body work. And it's not like little body weight shoulder abductions, right? We're actually doing loaded body work as well, load upper body work as well. Um, and, and not just bench press, okay? Um, it's a lot of 
posterior stuff, a lot of uh, scapular retraction type work uh, in various positions, but it is so critical to maintain better posture alignment because uh, we talk about running posture and not collapsing so much, but the reality is like, there's two parts to that. There's the awareness that, yeah, I shouldn't have bad postural alignment when I run, but there's also the fact that I need to show up with enough strength and stability to hold that position for two hours, right? So, um, and that's overlooked with a lot of people. Something you, as you were talking, it got me thinking, and I'm, you might not even know the numbers for this, but efficiency wise, someone who like has good posture, but we've all seen them there run really tight with the arms. So they're just rotating the upper body rather than the arm swing. What efficiency loss, or is there an efficiency loss there? Or is it just more of just like they hold themselves really tight. So they just are going to get other issues. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time arm swing issues, right? So I, I, I teach running gate courses. And when you see arm swings, are your, your cues to something going awry downstream, right? So um, real simple, when you see arm swing uh, excessively wide, okay, that's a sign that that runner is lacking um, for, uh, lateral stability in their body. And when you see arm swing crossover, right, that's a sign of lacking rotational control. If they're stiff, um, likely they've got some issues in, um, stability between their, um, kind of, uh, front side and backside, uh, hip, uh, hip muscles because they're not allowing themselves to stride out properly. So that's your cue that something's not working from that kind of spring. Cause again, you're a big spring when you run, right? So, um, if you see things that pattern, there's likely something going on. That's just shifting that kind of that spring system. So, um, in general, Stiffer arm swing, yeah, you're not allowing that uh, elasticity because as one foot goes in front of you, right, the other one's going back behind you, you should actually be exchanging that elastic energy from limb to limb through that solid stable core, right, which is twisting. Um, and so it's a sign that you don't have good rotational stability um, to, uh, to really capitalize on that. Okay, awesome. Thanks for explaining that. Now, I know we talked a little bit on the phone. I want to dive into it here. Um, and that is when we're talking about strength training, like the difference of going to CrossFit and just doing that workout of the day, that fast AMRAP, whatever it is versus lifting for strength and how those two, um, how they're different, but also like how each can be beneficial in their own ways. Yeah. So this is really important for, I think a lot of people don't understand it. Runners come at this mentality of, I want to work really hard. Right. And I just want to work really hard. And and there's a time and a place for that, right? But there's also a time and a place to be smart. Um, so when you look at, the, and I, I'm not going to, well, I am going to overgeneralize because I'm going to make the point, but um, CrossFit is about using loaded movements for, yes, body, but also cardiovascular stimulus, okay? And so if you're going to say an AMRAP, which is as many reps as possible, okay, in time blocks, right? Um that is a way to challenge, yes, your connective tissues, okay, but also your heart rate. And what happens is two things. One, that's not what I'm looking to do with running. I don't want to challenge your heart rate, right? You're getting enough cardiovascular training from running. Uh, but number two, um, form gets really sloppy, okay? Um, and everybody's been to a CrossFit, comp CrossFit competition, seen this, okay? And, and again, runners, we are looking at, run at strength training and power training, not just for connective tissue building, but also for skill building. So I want to make sure we, every rep is golden in terms of quality, right? So um, number one, AMRAP tends to negate a focus on quality, okay? Because you fatigue. And number two, 
it's doing double 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 whammy here, right? You're getting cardiovascular hit and a a, a metabolic hit, and you're getting a uh, a connective tissue hit. That's not why I'm having you strength train, right? I want to strength train to build skill and to build quality movements, and then yes, to load the system. So if you allow yourself to do sets and reps, right? And again, people say, oh, is, is it simpler than three sets of ten, or what's the golden ratio? I mean, there's lots of things to do out there, right? I mean, if you're doing true power work you can't do 10 reps of a true power exercise you get exhausted you need a break okay so what's i tell you well i can't go super hard for a long period of time at taking a break you just debunked and wrap right there okay um no one in the strength conditioning world okay who's working with athletes okay not crossfit athletes but athletes with the sport trains with amrap no one okay and the reason is because you need to allow yourself to have breaks between sets right to reset your brain give your body a rest, right? And move on. So when it comes down to it, if you're saying, well, what should I do, right? So let's say you're doing a, um, a let's say you're, you're doing a, a monster walk, right? You've got like a band around your feet and you're just doing lateral steps, okay? And that's something which is, you know, a low load, okay? And yes, it's stability. Yes, to through your butt muscles burning, okay? And I'm sure you've all done this before, but the reality is that's not that taxing in your system, right? So let's say you do that for, you know, a minute to the left, and then you take a 20 second break, you do a minute to the right, and maybe you don't take a minute, maybe you just go back and forth the whole thing for two minutes. That's fine. Okay. But now let's say we're going to do some single leg deadlifts with a 55 pound uh, kettlebell, right? You're not going to knock out 40 reps at once, right? You're going to do 10 or eight or five, whatever it's going to be, right? And you're going to take a break. Okay. And then you're going to knock out another set. And so what I'd like you to do when you think about sets and reps, think about, okay, today I'm going to try and move this weight, right? This many times. And what I want you to do is pay attention to your form. So if you said, I want to move this weight for 35 times today, okay, I would like you to try and move for maybe six or seven or eight and pay attention to how you feel. Okay. And pay attention to movement velocity. All right. So this is really important too. When we're training for sport, right? Speed of movement is important. I know you've probably read articles or heard articles saying you want to move super slow, like six seconds down and 10 seconds up and all these ridiculous things. You know, the research shows if you're new to lifting, um, that moving super slow training is not bad. Uh, but if you have any history of weight experience, um, that's actually negative in terms of power development. So you're actually hurting yourself, right? So by moving super slow. So what we like to do is move at a, what I call a smooth rate. Okay. So if you're doing that single leg deadlift with that 55 pound kettlebell, right. And you're knocking out reps and you're in rep six or seven or eight. Right. And you notice the point where your speed of motion slows down by about 15 and 20%, right. Cause you're getting tired. You should take a break because every time you do that rep, you're not just trying to load those posterior chain muscles. You're also trying to make sure your brain can recruit muscles in a certain pattern. Okay. And when you start to move slower, what you do is you teach your body to move slower, which is not what we do in sports where things are fast, like running. Your stance time when you run is between 0.08 seconds and about 0.3 seconds. It's really short, right? So we want to make sure we're keeping our movement speed consistent. So again, if you're doing AMRAP, what happens? People get tired. They start to move slow, move sloppy. That doesn't have direct skill transfer into your sport. And yes, we're talking about keeping your parts for life and building long, you know, strong muscle, tendons, bones, ligaments, but the reality is we want to make sure that stuff does carry over in a skill and we need to move in a smooth rate if we're doing strength work. Awesome. Cool. Thank you for that explanation. 
Um, when it comes to strength work, I'm curious for just for you and how you program, are you just doing like one movement at a time or do you do supersets at times between two different movements? What is that? Or just kind of depend on the purpose at the, the workout? Yeah, it depends on the purpose, depends on the person. I mean, I, I've got some workouts I use with athletes that take probably a good, you know, nine to 12 months to be able to do that workout, right? Like just to put yourself in that position. And I've got workouts where people can start on day one, right? So um, yes, I do um, compound sets with power work and strength work for sure. Um, and those are to get a bigger neurologic boost in terms of recruitment um, and also still love the system and, and they're, they're amazing, but they're very hard, okay? And very taxing on your nervous system, which, you know, again, like there are times of the season we do that, right? If you have a huge bump up on the track, that's not the time I'm going to go put those workouts in because it's going to destroy you. You're going to say you feel horrible running and that's going to negate everything, right? So um, there are times in a season and individuals who we use that for, and there's athletes who, you know, no way are ready for that. And so we basically just back that down. You have to meet the athlete where they are. Um, again, because you read a certain workout in, um, you know, a blog doesn't mean that it's the right workout for you. So, um, you know, that's why we do assessments to find out what people need. Um, and, and you should do that if you're going to start a program, but, um, you know, the, the whole idea is where are you now? What are your goals? Right. And, and those two things govern everything, right. And your answers are different than mine and different than your training partners. And so it's important. You're very clear about those. Um, and if you're very clear, very specific, then you can tailor a plan to what you need. Um, and you'll get a lot of bang for your time invested. Yeah, absolutely. And something else that's coming to mind as you're talking and something that I'm sure you hear a lot of, I definitely hear from my runners is like, I program rest breaks in for them, like in between lifts, like rest this long. And they're like, well, I don't like to rest. <laughs> like, well, you're going to, and you're going to appreciate it. <laughs> like yeah. if you're doing the, if you're lifting to the intent of what you're, what this is programmed to be like, you're going to want that rest. Right. I mean, the way I, I always, I, I get those runners myself and I, I always come back with this same response. Look, if your coach says you're going to go do a, a seven mile run today, you go run seven miles. Are you going to sprint seven miles? No, of course not. I'm going to go run seven miles. Now, if you're going to track workout and I've got, you know, 12 quarters in there for you today, are you going to do all those quarters with no rest? Of course not. It's too hard. Bingo. Okay. You know, and, and again, if you're someone who is not challenged in your, in your reps, right? Like it's too easy. Well then tell the person who's another program for you. Hey, well, let's, let's make sure we're talking together here because you should need those breaks. Like literally on, like on the floor panting, needing a break. Okay. So, you know, yeah, you, you to get strength and power work, you need rest breaks period. And again, everyone working on strength and power development does this. Yeah, absolutely. I still remember one guy I had, he was just like, I don't like taking breaks. I'm like, take the breaks. You're like, if you're doing the purpose of the workout, you're going to need it. And he messaged me afterwards. He's like, yeah, that rest break was perfect. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yes, yes, it was. Awesome. Well, Jay, um, anything, obviously, you know, your side of things better than I do. Anything that we haven't discussed yet today that you feel is super important to mention? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, if you're, this is what I always challenge my athletes to do, right? So what I'd like you to do for me is get a sheet of paper, right? get a calendar, sorry, and look at your calendar. And I want you to, right now, look at your calendar. I want you to look at all those blank boxes. And I want you to figure out when you're going to put in some type of precision, which is again, like maybe you've got some routines you already do. Great. Okay. Find out when you're going to put those in, right? 
those are often easy to put in pre-run because it's kind of your dynamic warm-up. You should be doing stretching before we, before you run. Hopefully that's been debunked. Uh, if it's, if not, just trust me, don't do it. Okay. <laughs> um, but use that time to kind of do a little dynamic warm-up, right. With a, with a focus on movement skill, right. We're talking 10 to 15 minutes, not long. Okay. So you can do that before you jump out the door, it's already done simple. Okay. And then I want you to find one or two times a week, depending on where you're on the season, to put in some loaded movements, okay? And make that a priority. Don't make that an also side effect, okay? Um, and, and just a hint on timing, because people always ask, when should I do these? Let's just say your, your hardest workout, your V2 max, your kind of interval workout of the week is like on a Tuesday, right? Um, your peak soreness after you do um, strength and power training is actually 48 hours after that, that, uh, that strength and power bout, not 24 hours. Okay. So um, if you would like to do it on Tuesday, the, your run on Tuesday, the worst time to do your strength, and your, your strength and power workout is on Sunday. Does that make sense? So just think about timing of where those go, because again, your running is the most important thing and obviously should be, right? Um, and you need to make sure you're putting in proper workouts for running, but the timing is actually really critical in these. So don't overlook that, okay? Um, now, that being said, if you do your, you know, your VO2 max run session on Tuesday and you think, well, what should I do my lifting on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday? So that becomes a question of you, right? So if you do that, that hard run on Tuesday, are you just tired on Tuesday? Let me see, uh, excuse me, Wednesday, essentially tired, which is fine. Or are you still tired and sore, right? So if you're tired and sore, that means your muscles and tendons and bones, ligaments aren't ready to be loaded at a, at a, a strong weight uh, yet, right? So you might want to wait another day. So you kind of have, to, you know, the pre- Strength training 40 hours before that hard workout is a no-no, okay? Um, it's actually better to do it the day before, by the way. Um, the Monday, you're, you're spending the power working on Tuesday because your peak soreness actually be Wednesday, right? So, um, so that tends to work pretty well. Um, those of you who have the luxury, and I know that most people don't, but the best scenario for integrating timing of these things, what I have a lot of my athletes do, my professional athletes, is we wake up, we eat a small breakfast, we do um, some uh, strength and power work, Right. And then we basically have about a 15 to 30 minute uh, rest window. They're eating some food. And then we go straight into their uh, hardest uh, run workout of the week. Um, and there's some research to show that that, you know, that kind of um, strength and power session is like, think about it as like the most amazing dynamic warm up in the world to get your central nervous system primed and ready to go. And you're not sore yet. Right. So um, you actually take it better performance out your, um, your interval session following. So again, not everybody can do that. I understand that, but um, th there's a bunch and I, and I, in my book, running rewired, I go through a bunch more detail if you need help on how to kind of phase these things through. But um, yeah, there, there's, I would say that get the calendar out, hold yourself accountable, now, right? Don't make this something you look back in, you know, it's, it's, it's currently February, right? Don't do this in June and say, I wish I would have done all that work in the, in the, in the off season. These aren't off season things. These are calendar long, right? Type, uh, type, type activities. Um, yes, you should be taking a break at some point in the season. Everyone does, right? Um, again, everyone meeting the elites, they take time off as in like off, off and don't look at anything besides a, a Netflix for a week or two, right? But, uh, but there are times when we want to be key consistent, which is most of the year. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that as far as taking time off as home, you know, so many people are like, I'm on a whatever day running streak. And like, yes, that time off is important. Um, and since you brushed on it briefly, we're going to go there. Why is stretching not appropriate before we run? Yeah. So, um, stretching is ripping tissue period. 
Okay. Um, you are ripping your tissues. Um, would you want to bang your head on a desk and then go take a test? No, you don't want to give yourself pre-concussion syndrome and then try and make tax your brain, right? Dumb analogy, but uh, you know, if you <laughs> if you think about stretching is ripping tissue, and if you rip tissue before, there's tons of research to show that we have compromise and we call our stretch shortening cycle, which is basically the elastic recoil, right? So again, running, we said earlier, is all about capitalizing on elasticity. If you stretch before you run, you are compromising elasticity. Now, one thing on this real quick, and I don't want to get in the weeds, but when I say stretching, okay, I'm talking about actual stretching. So stretching is holding a position for three to five minutes because that's how long it takes to actually elongate true soft tissues. We'll look at muscle cells, individual muscle cells, something called a sarcomere, and the boundaries, this thing called a Z-line, right? And if you want to actually increase the length of those tissues, you have to hold stretches for long periods of time. So that's when I'm saying we shouldn't stretch pre-run. Now, if you're doing stretches and I'm putting air quotes up right for 10 seconds you're not actually lengthening tissue all you're doing is teasing your nervous system uh, a little bit and that's fine if you want to it's not going to be very helpful but it's not going to hurt you right <laughs> because there's, <laughs> there's not enough of a stimulus to actually elongate tissue and and dumb down that stretch shortening cycle so um, that's why you shouldn't do it. It, it it ruins your elasticity is the simple answer awesome thanks for that clarification well cool this has been a Great conversation, Jay. Um, if someone wants to find your books, just uh, has more questions for you, where can they go? Yeah, uh, actually the best place, I run a little um, company called MoboBoard, which is a foot and ankle balance uh, stability board. Um, so you can go to MoboBoard.com uh, for, for that. But most importantly, if you follow Mobo.board on Instagram, uh, I post a bunch of other content not related just to foot and ankle health. Um, so that's probably the best place to find us. And also I have a blog on uh, called anathletesbody.com. Um, you can look at that as well. And uh, yeah, best luck to everybody. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, thanks so much. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Highly Functional and had some great takeaways from it. Now, if you are dealing with your own foot and ankle issues and would love to get back to running and racing again, I highly encourage you to check out runwithhappyfeet.com to find out what it looks like to work with me. Or if you wanna do things even faster and take a deep dive into your specific situation, then book a free call with me at runwithhappyfeet.com book dash call. And finally, if you know someone who would benefit from the information provided today, I would love for you to share this podcast with that person. Now go out and have an awesome day.